everyone. Welcome to What Is That? We're your hosts, Katie and Danielle. And today, we've got worms. That's right, folks. We've got worms. But not only that, we're excited about it. And we're going to share them with you. So squiggle yourselves into place and prepare for our first installment of We've Got the Wiggles. It's a worm day. And you know what? There are a whole lot more of them than I thought there were. There are about 50,000 thousand known species classified worldwide. Although it's estimated that that number is more like 500,000 to 1 million species. 1 million. These are going to be categorized in three phyla based on body shape. You've got your flatworms, your roundworms, and your ringworms. There's a lot of potential here and I don't want to hold us up anymore. So Danielle, into what corner of the big blue are you whisking us to get wormy? Katie, prepare yourself. We are going everywhere and anywhere that is called an ocean. But we're going to go deep into the ocean to find this worm. Fun fact. My critter didn't worm their way into the picture until 2004. The discovery of this worm is given credit to the scientists with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, also known as MBARI. They have a great Instagram account, by the way. Very relaxing videos they post of their discoveries. Side note ended. My worm. I knew I wanted to go in this direction. It was a bit of a throwback. I feel like I first saw this worm before I even knew this worm existed. We're going to throw back to the deep blue or planet blue what was it oh blue planet blue planet there is i believe there is a segment on blue planet where they follow the decomposition of a giant whale that has fallen to the bottom of the ocean and scientists are just amazed to get this first time footage of this entire ecosystem just appears on this whale practically overnight. It's astonishing. I think I remember that. it. They had it in like fast forward motion and it was just unlike anything we'd ever seen before that point. It was a really cool thing to watch. I was mesmerized by mm-hmm. it. The worm I would like to present to you is called the bone eating worm. What? Oh yeah. This thing is wild. It really expands my idea of what the heck a worm actually looks like and what worms are capable of doing. Again, this worm was first discovered in 2004. That's like yesterday. I'll be generalizing this species. There's two unique species of this type of worm. They were given a whole new genus to call their own due to their unique appetite called Osidex, meaning bone devourer in Latin. Mm. The bone-eating worm are typically found in deep water, but can be found in oceans worldwide. This habitat vertical restriction of meaning why it's really only found in the deep ocean is because of its diet. Now, let's paint the picture in your mind. What the heck does a bone-eating worm sound like, apart from like this weird monstrosity out of the twilight zone? 
They range anywhere from one to almost three inches, depending on the species. The closest relative to the bone-eating worm will be the vent worm. So think of those crazy white tubes with the red fans coming out of them that hang out in underground volcanoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. So that is going to be their closest cousin at the family reunion. (laughs) The bone-eating worm does not have eyes, a mouth, a stomach, or legs. What? How do they? Okay. I'll let you continue. By golly, you know their diet's going to be fascinating. We're going to hang on, hang on, folks. Let's let's finish figuring out what the heck we're talking about. They have this reddish plumage that sticks out at the top and acts as the gills of the worm. Then they have this wild-looking green yolk-like mass that comes out of the bottom. This green root egg sac is the digestive tool that secretes acid into the bone, to dissolve. They then have this symbiotic relationship with bacteria that's going to help break down organic materials such as the connective tissue, the fat, and other material that's located inside the bones of mammals like whales. It's so crazy. They kind of, but based on that description, they kind of remind me of like the mushrooms of the bottom of the ocean. The decomposers. Yeah, yeah. The detritivores of the deep ocean blue. Barely an animal. Yeah, yeah. You're just <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't quite <laughs> fit what you would typically envision like an animal. Yeah. They love whale carcasses. Yummy. Also known as whale falls. I didn't realize this, but when whales pass away out in the ocean, they don't wash up on the beaches. They just kind of drift down to the bottom. And this is called a whale fall. Hmm. They will also predate on other larger mammals or other mammals that fall down. They're really invested on the, the bone matter. I don't know if they would necessarily populate on larger fish, like say like a big shark Mm-hmm. died i don't know what that would necessarily look like because those are going to have a lot more cartilage so I, I i don't know if they would actually populate on that but think of you know your whales your dolphins like your killer whale and all that so like big mammals so they specialize in the big mammals i i believe so hmm. i couldn't find a predator for this worm huh. which i found interesting but when I researched more into the life cycle of the bone-eating worm, I was like, okay, this could make more sense. I want to pay respect to our Lavish Lovers episode when discussing life cycle of the bone-eating worm. When we were discussing the amazing anglerfish. So if you haven't listened to our episode that we released last February called Lavish Lovers, please listen to it. It's amazing. And you learn fascinating things about the anglerfish that you couldn't fathom knowing before. So listen to it. Anyways, scientists who discovered these worms were totally perplexed by the lack of male worms. Oh, dear. Male tube worms. Hmm. I know. Until a close look at the lady worms revealed microscopic males living within their bodies. No way! Isn't that crazy? Yes. Oh, my God. Blew my mind. So they took a look at them, and the males really never developed past the larval stage. What? (laughs) But they contain copious amounts of sperm. 
as many as 50 to 100 males can reside in one female. In? In the computer. Yeah, they're not like latched on the outside like a parasite. Mm -hmm. Females can keep recruiting males to live with them. All aboard! Recruiting. I like that. <laughs> Sending out flyers. I, I had to take that uh, from the Monterey Bay Aquariums. I was like, that's a great verb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a scientist with them named Robert, and he is quoted saying that these worms appear to be the e- ecological equivalent of dandelions, a weedy species that grows rapidly, makes lots of eggs, and disperses far and wide, end quote. Hey, do what you got to do. These worms are making it happen. So after this whale skeleton has been consumed, so the whale fall happened, and this doesn't happen overnight that this whale will get decomposed. This is a multi-month, even year-plus event that's happening. It is not only supporting the bone-eating worm, but a whole host of other wild organisms that come along, including sharks. After this whale has been consumed, all the bone-eating worms will actually die off. They don't detach and drift off to another area they just die off but before this happens they have to be able to ensure their next generation is going to be out there so they will release the eggs or larvae so that some tiny part of them will be transported off into the ocean currents and hopefully they'll be able to find their own new home and survive until they can colonize on another whale carcass or other large mammal. So these adult bone-eating worms will release the eggs and these have been fertilized throughout their lives to ensure the success of the offspring. So it's not just like, oh my gosh, we're about to run out of food. Let me release all my eggs. No, it's going to happen continuously as they feast on this whale. Hence the dandelion metaphor. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> accurate. It's, it, it's, it kind of seems like the whale carcasses are like little islands on the bar, you know, the mammal carcasses are islands on the bottom of the ocean. And it really is like a dandelion because I was trying to think, it's interesting, all these um, ocean animals that we've been talking about and learning about, it seems like it's pretty common for their, um, you know, life survival strategy for the species to be to send the young out to drift out in the ocean and then find their own way. Sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. Yep. It, it just seems crazy. <laughs> so that's why you're just releasing such large volumes. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> insurance policy is like, listen, I know you ain't all going to make it, so... <laughs> better ante up that's a good i like that you mentioned that these whales are islands because i have a soft spot for island ecology and that definition really expands on what we can define as what is an island Mm -hmm. yeah these whales really are islands for a lot of these different types of species that call them home for that brief moment of time speaking of homes the conservation status of the bone eating worm it's very interesting to define So it really relies heavily on the marine animals, such as the whale. The whale populations, as we know, have declined significantly over the years, especially compared to historic population levels. It's believed that there's only really like as little as 10 up to 25% of the historic population, despite acts as big legal actions, such as 1982 International Whaling Commission's that 
kind of put a moratorium on commercial whaling. It still happens in some countries. Fewer whales mean fewer whale falls, and so less habitat for some of these species like the bone-eating worm. If you are really attached to this cool bone-eating worm, you're like, how can I help them? Well, help the whales. How can you help whales? Know where your seafood comes from and only buy seafood from sustainable fisheries. We are seeing a silent mass overfishing crisis that will have huge implications, not only on marine ecosystems, as you can see, it's heavily embedded and webbed with one each other, but it's also going to have big impacts on human food security going forwards. So just know where your food comes from is the main message I can take if you want to help these cool worms. I mean, it's it's the miscongeniality of the worm world. It's just so cool and bizarre. But that is the bone-eating worm. I mean, three words that I never thought would go together like that. That is just amazing. And I just love the message that to help one animal species that you will probably never see in your entire life, you have to help a different species that is much more charismatic and there is a lot of attention on it and you know hopefully the way that things are going now the more that we conserve the animals that are getting the attention the more that these smaller animals that do a lot of work but aren't necessarily as charismatic will get the benefit from it yeah this waterfall effect in a way Ugh, love waterfalls don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> Listen to the rivers and the streams like you used to. All right, folks. Katie, what wiggles are you getting out of your system? You know, we talked previously. You let me know you were doing a marine worm. I wanted to make sure I was doing something much different. I went terrestrial but I wanted to make sure it was something special. So I've decided to go with an extreme in the worm world. We are traveling to the state of Victoria in the southeastern corner of Australia to dig up the world's largest worm, the giant Gippsland earthworm. I know what you're thinking. Earthworm, Katie? Yeah, we know about earthworms, but do you? Because I thought I did but I was mistaken. And let's not forget that we're talking about Megascolides australis, people. The giant Gippsland earthworm can get up to three meters long. I'm sorry, what? Three <laughs> meters? So i sorry, you said earthworm and I like my life flashed before my eyes. So <laughs> where I grew up, I grew out, grew out. I grew up out in the country mm-hmm. of like, Minnesota. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I remember certain summer nights, it would be humid. It would have rained and you could go out on the deck and you'd notice things glistening and squirming across the lawn. It was all these giant earthworms. I mean, I don't think it's the same earthworm as this, but all these earthworms just coming out from underneath the ground. And mm-hmm. it was wild. I felt like it felt very surreal seeing something like that. And that image has really stuck in my head. So when you said that, I was just like, <gasps> <laughs> no, and it's true. And I think everybody has their own earthworm stories and their own earthworm experiences from they were little. And it's true. They're all over the world. They're so important to the ecosystems. And 
you know, Australia. Australia's got the extremes of a lot of things. And of course, they had to have a giant earthworm to boot. Of course, Australia. <laughs> I mean, this is why I have reservations of traveling there. I know. I've seen an airport <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think we each have our own species that we're a little nervous about in Australia. They could have gotten up to three meters long historically. These days, it's closer to about one and a half meters on average. But still, that's four and a half feet of worm. You want to know what four and a half feet of worm sounds like? Well, you're in luck because a worm that huge can be heard slushing and gurgling its way right below your feet. The sound has been likened to that of a bathtub draining. I'm sorry. These people are out like in their garden or whatever, and they're hearing this sound of a worm traveling by. Yeah. And a lot of the ways that it was described, it was like people got kind of frightened by it. I think it would be, I mean, I probably would be kind of freaked out, but it's just right underneath your feet. You don't know what's going on. It's slushing and gurgling. But if you uh, don't have plans to travel to Australia soon, then we'll post the clip because that is a noise that we all need to hear and experience. So we're in Australia listening to worms gurgle. What are they even doing down there? (laughs) I don't know if I like that (laughs) phrase. But anyways, worms gurgling. Carry on. Worm gurgle, which by the way, can be up to five feet underground. And maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but think about this creature. No bones. I wish I had no bones. Just a long wiggly tube body, determinedly tunneling its way down, down, down. They even have a special adaptation in their blood to produce a higher amount of hemoglobin. Remember, that's the part of the blood that holds oxygen to cope with the lower oxygen levels in their quote unquote deep underground environments. And what else gets blood pumping? Reproduction. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Earthworms are hermaphroditic, boy girls, so they'll sidle up next to each other. One releases sperm from its spermatheca chamber and fertilizes an egg cocoon of the other. And even these cocoons are giant. At about three and a half centimeters long, they're shaped and look just like soybeans, but they're this almost glowing amber color, making them look like something alien to me at least. And the magnificent glowing amber pod is stored in a special chamber in the burrow system to incubate for about a year before it hatches a foot long baby worm that can grow about a half a foot per year. I... Uh, How about them apples? I, a foot long? I can't process this right now. These worms live about 10 years and they spend that time squirming around in the earth, eating bacteria, algae, fungi, microbes. They'll also suck up tiny rocks to break down those food items like a little makeshift gizzard. Do they have that little gizzard? part they don't not like a bird no nope. okay can't all be birds mm, we can all try like a bird. i know when i was thinking about this i was like is this using tools it's possible yeah. interesting oh 
Does anyone else think it's using tools? That's an interesting way to phrase (laughs) it because using tools is often considered a form of sophistication in the animal kingdom. Maybe worms are more sophisticated than we thought. Yeah, let's put worms on the map. I'm here. You know what else? I jumped straight into reproduction and food and we don't even know what we're looking at. What do these things look like? (laughs) Well, they look like big earthworms. They're long pinkish gray. When they squish thick, they get about two centimeters in diameter. They weigh up to 400 grams. Nothing that sounds terribly impressive. We're just going to have to take a field trip to Australia. No, thank you. (laughs) We'll talk. And if we get lucky, maybe we will meet Beverly Van Pra, the giant Gippsland earthworm leading expert and champion. She has been studying these worms and their challenges since the later 1980s and has, during that time, worked with other scientists to come up with an entire species recovery plan because, yes, of course, the giant Gippsland earthworm is in trouble. How could it not be? How does one do anything with dirt containing six-foot-long worms and not accidentally harm them? What I learned from worms, the annelids phase of my classes in university where they can regrow once you like separate them. Can these worms do that? I didn't read anything to that effect. They seem really sensitive actually. So the issue with these worms is that they're really specialized. They're found only in an area of about 150 square miles And in that area, its populations are fragmented to the point of being completely isolated from one another. These worms prefer a particular type of open, grassy land with moist soils, the better for tunneling, and as such, have had a hard time with any human development on their homes, from infrastructure to agricultural use. These worms have proven to be pretty sensitive to change in their soil environment. On top of that, They're not easy to study as they can wither and die from even a small bruise on their bodies. Wow. I know. It's tragic. You can imagine that digging these animals up is a very nerve-wracking business for these poor scientists that are just trying to help them. My hands would be shaking too much handling that precious cargo. Right. So a lot of their conservation right now is working with landowners, which a majority of their small range consists of property that's owned by people, fenced off. Is it like ranching maybe or agricultural? Yeah, there's all all of the above. So they're working with those people to actually fence off portions of their land for non-use, making some areas conservation areas that people can come visit and learn about this giant of the lens. Among many other projects, Dr. Pra has been part of spearheading a translocation project of a population of these worms that has been thus far successful. In this way, they can hopefully bring breeding populations closer to each other and increase genetic diversity. So earthworms have long been known to have invaluable benefits to the soil with a lot of these smaller, more contained species. We just don't know the effects their extinction would have on their environment in the long and short term. I, for one... I'm happier knowing there is a giant human-length worm in the soil, even just to remind us how extreme a magnificent, even more mundane, simple animals can be in this world. 
That's my spiel. It's impressive. Get on that worm soapbox. <laughs> I am. I'm here. I'm here for the worms. I'm sold. I'm glad there's whatever, 50,000 to a million species in the world. We're going to be out this for a while. Who knows what's hiding out there? Like, I didn't realize that there was an earthworm of this size and caliber mm-hmm. squirming its way around in the soils. Who knows what else is still out there? I mean, as we're seeing, the worm family is so diverse mm-hmm. and so capable of handling a lot of different environments. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited we finally taken this plunge. I'm so happy we got our worms out. I know. I feel like I got all my wiggles out for today. I'm feeling <laughs> calm and feeling peaceful. This is good. I'm cleansed. <laughs> Thank you all very much for tuning in to this special episode of What Is That? Getting your wiggles out with us. Be sure to tune in next month when we pack our bags for yet another location, location, location episode. Bye-bye. What Is That? is a podcast the brainchild of Danielle, championed along strongly by Katie. The podcast is edited by me and Naveed, who has been adding those punchy noise effects for glitter and glam. Naveed is also the creator of the intro theme and is our producer. If you just can't get enough or would like some more visual context for what we talk about here, please visit us on Instagram at what is that a podcast where we post all the photos of the unique and interesting characters and critters we talk about. And as always, thank you to our faithful listeners that have been here from the beginning and the freshies just starting to dip their toes into our weird world of wildlife. We are certainly always enjoying ourselves and learning and loving new creatures. And we hope you take away a weird fact or two to dish out at your next get together or gala as well. Bye-bye.